Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 730 for the 12th of February, 2021. This week, the graphical user interface didn't exist yet on personal computers 40 years ago, so we needed to understand the command line and batch files. These are still present under the hood on today's computers, and we'll take a long look at why they're still useful. In short circuits, television programs and motion pictures on DVD can cause people with less than perfect hearing to lose some of the dialogue. Adding specialized speakers to the television can help, and help a lot. In spare parts only on the website, the Windows taskbar can get crowded if you often have many applications open or you pin a lot of icons to it. Not everything Microsoft puts on the taskbar by default needs to be there though, and it's easy to dump the items you don't need. If you've ever had a computer report that a secured digital card is locked, fixing the problem is usually quick and easy. And 20 years ago, visual basic scripting attacks were common, and I suggested a couple of rules that guaranteed safety. They still apply. Those who are old enough to remember computers that ran on DOS or CPM will also remember, and maybe even fondly, batch files. These could be used to automate repetitive tasks. Apple's original Macintosh introduced the graphical user interface to the general public in 1984. Microsoft introduced a graphical user interface with Windows version 1.0 a year later, but Windows wasn't really useful until Windows 3 arrived in 1990. Even then, batch files continued to be used a lot until 1995 and Windows 95. Even if your use of computers dates back to the 1980s, you might not have seen a command line since, nope, maybe sometime in the 1990s. And by the way, Apple didn't invent the graphical user interface. Most of the credit for that goes to Xerox PARC, the Palo Alto Research Center. The command line is still there. So is a newer option called PowerShell, and you even have the option to use Linux on a Windows 10 computer, which gives you access to the Bash command line. Bash, the born-again shell, replaces the born shell on Linux, and yes, Linux developers do like to play with words. With all those choices, I wondered if batch files might still be able to do something useful, even in today's GUI world. After the advent of hard disks in personal computers, starting programs involved using a CD command to switch to the appropriate directory and then typing the name of the program. Could I create a menu using a batch file? Well, it turned out I could. There weren't a lot of programs to run, so the batch file displayed a numbered list of applications. To start a program, I typed the number associated with it on the menu and pressed Enter. 
The batch command then changed to the appropriate directory, launched the program, and opened again when I closed the program. Back then, it was one program at a time. If I wanted to use Lotus 1.2.3, I had to close WordPerfect. Having a batch file that ran the menu saved a lot of keystrokes and probably a lot of typos. But nobody needs a menu that relies on a batch file today. But maybe you do need something else a batch file can do. Let's take a look. I'm a big fan of backups. A good backup strategy virtually eliminates the possibility of losing important files. Virtually, because some unforeseen failure could still arise. But if you keep copies of files in several locations, the risk is reduced to some exceedingly small non-zero value. By several locations, I mean on your computer, on a backup drive that's connected to the computer only when you're backing files up, and in the cloud. Might the command line and a batch file be helpful here? Let's see. Old DOS users will remember copy and xcopy. The first was just used to copy small groups of files, and the second was used to copy files and directories. Now there's Robocopy, a more powerful version of Xcopy, which it is intended to replace. The help file for copy is 28 lines long, indicating its basic capabilities. It copies one or more files to another location, according to Microsoft. Xcopy's file is larger, 61 lines long. Microsoft's description says that it copies files and directory trees. If RoboCopy makes you envision a robot doing the copying, you're probably not alone. But that is not what it means. RoboCopy is short for Robust Copy. And yes, there does seem to be an extra O in there, but somebody at Microsoft probably thought Rob Copy would be a poor choice for the name. In any event, RoboCopy's description in the help file reveals its capabilities. Robust File Copy for Windows. The help file itself is a little over 190 lines. RoboCopy has enough features that it can serve as a backup utility for someone who doesn't want to buy a utility such as GoodSync. It requires more work to set up than a utility like GoodSync does, and it doesn't have all the features that GoodSync offers, but it is free. RoboCopy can be used to mirror directories in addition to its ability to copy, move, or archive files. It can be set to copy only new or changed files. It honors the archive bit. Because of the mirroring option, the first backup will take longer than subsequent uses. RoboCopy can even be set to watch a directory for changes and then copy files that have changed. So let's say that you want to back up your Windows user profile. This directory should already be being backed up if you're using an application such as Code42's Crash Plan. Although this application cannot be used to back up the Windows directory, program files, program files x86, and a few other directories that contain rapidly changing files, it will back up the user's directory. And that will include, of course, your user profile. Also, if you use an application by Microsoft or a third party to create images of the system, the user profile will be there. But perhaps you'd like to have one additional copy of this directory because it does contain a lot of important data. 
By default, data for most applications will be stored in the user's profile. That's not the case for me because I have data directories for various applications on other drives. But there's still information in the user profile directory that I don't want to lose. Maybe using RoboCopy would be a good way to accomplish this. I could use an application such as Qtr or even Microsoft's File Explorer to copy the user's directory to my local backup drive. That's not a good option, though, especially if all of the data files are there. That's because there's no way to tell the application to copy only new or modified files. If the first file copy takes 30 minutes, every subsequent copy will take 30 minutes. RoboCopy addresses that issue. The command I would use with RoboCopy is a very long command. Take a look at the TechBiter Worldwide website and you'll see the full thing. The command line is RoboCopy space and then in quotation marks C users Willy, another space, more quotation marks, Y user profile Willy, another space forward slash MIR, another space forward slash XA colon SH, a space then forward slash XD app data, a space forward slash XJD, Another space, forward slash R, colon 5, space, forward slash W, colon 10, space, forward slash MT, colon 32, space, forward slash V, space, forward slash NP, space, forward slash LOG, colon profile backup log. When you run the program, it's important to do so from a directory where your user has write privileges. I used a directory called temp on drive D, and that is a huge command line. Let's take a look at what all is in it. The first item, RoboCopy, of course, is the name of the application, and the application can be found in the C Windows System 32 directory. If you want to type robocopy space forward slash question mark, you can see the full list of parameters and switches. There are a lot of them. The second item is in quotation marks, C colon backslash users backslash willy. That's the directory with the user profile to be backed up. And of course, the willy part of the command will be replaced with your username. The third item is the destination, also in quotation marks, Y colon backslash user profile willy. That's where the backup will be created, the drive letter followed by the name of the directory. And the directory does not need to exist. RoboCopy will create it. There's still a lot of command line here. Forward slash MIR. That's the first of several switches I've added. Without this switch, RoboCopy will copy just the user's directory without including any subdirectories. The switch is the functional equivalent of combining the E switch, which includes all subdirectories, even those that are empty, and the purge switch, which deletes destination files that no longer exist in the source. If you want to retain files that have been deleted from the source, use forward slash E instead of forward slash MIR. Next is forward slash XA colon SH. The XA part tells RoboCopy to exclude files that have specific attributes set. Nine possible attributes exist, and specifying SH tells RoboCopy to omit system and hidden files. Next is forward slash XD app data. 
The XD part of this switch tells Robocopy to exclude specific directories. I don't want to include the app data directory, so I've specified it in the command line. To exclude multiple directories, you'd separate them with spaces. Next is forward slash XJD. That excludes junction points for directories. If you omit that switch, Robocopy will back up a lot of data that's located elsewhere on the computer. Unix and Linux users will recognize junction points as being similar, but not quite equivalent to symbolic links. Junction points link to locations on a local volume. To see what junction points exist on your computer, open a command prompt and type dir space forward slash al space forward slash s space c colon backslash. And by the way, you can just copy and paste that from the TechBiter Worldwide website this week. The command itself will take 30 seconds or more to run to completion, and you will probably be surprised at how many junction points exist. The next item on this lengthy command line is forward slash r colon 5 space forward slash w colon 10. I combine these because they work together. Robocopy can try to copy files that are in use. The R switch tells Robocopy how many times it should try to copy a file that's in use. If you don't specify a number, the process will default to 1 million attempts. The W switch specifies the amount of time in seconds to wait between retries. The default is 30 seconds. I reduced it to 10. Next is forward slash mt colon 32. That speeds the process by allowing Robocopy to launch multiple threads, mt, multiple thread. The default value is 8, and you can use any number between 1 and 128. I selected 32. Next is forward slash v. This produces verbose output and shows all skipped files. That's a good option to specify if you create a log file. Next is forward slash NP. It specifies that the progress of the copying operation, the number of files or directories copied so far, will not be displayed. Some people prefer to include this switch, but I find the resulting log file to be harder to read, so I don't include it. But I put it here just for your information. And finally, forward slash log colon backup dot log. This one will delete a log file if one exists and then write a new summary log. Using log plus sign colon appends a new log file to the end of the previous log file. So to use this, I'd have to open a command prompt and type that entire line every time I wanted to back up the user file. That would be tedious and error prone. And that's where batch files finally enter this picture. You could create a file called profilebackup.bat or profilebackup.cmd and then save it in a directory where you have write permissions. Then you'd only need to navigate to the directory and double-click the file name. To keep the process organized, you might put the file in its own directory. I created a directory called profilebackup on drive D and moved profilebackup.cmd and the profilebackup.log to that location. Creating a shortcut for the command line on the desktop would make the process even easier, but this still depends on you to remember to run the file. To automate the process, you could create a job in the task scheduler so that it would run when you wanted to, perhaps daily at 3 p.m. Here's how to do that. 
open the task scheduler, expand the task scheduler library in the left panel, and choose your folder. If your folder does not exist, create a new one using new folder in the right column. With your folder selected, click Create Basic Task in the right folder. Give the task a name and optionally add a description. Choose when you want the job to run. I selected Daily for that. Today's date and the current time will be specified. Leave the date entry alone and specify the time you want the job to run. For me, that's 3 p.m. If you want the job to run every day, put a 1 in the Recur Every box and then click Next. Set the action to start a program, click Next. Browse to the command file or batch file that you created and select it. You don't need to add any arguments here, but you should specify the location where you want the job to run. The location is the same as that of the command file. For me, that's D colon backslash profile backup. And click Next. Now, I probably should note here that you could avoid creating a command file and place RoboCopy in the task scheduler, but then you'd have to deal with a bunch of arguments in setting that up, so creating the command file makes this part of the setup just a little bit easier. Then click Finish. It's a good idea to test the procedure before closing the task scheduler. Right-click the job and select Run. When the process is complete, check the log file to confirm that it has the current date and time, and that the process ran to a normal conclusion. The first time the job runs, it will copy all the files. This may take several minutes. On subsequent runs, the process will be much faster, and only new or changed files will be copied. When the command is running, a command window will open briefly and then close. Adding a few lines of text above the command that runs RoboCopy will let the user know what's happening. If there are no or only a few files that need to be copied, the window will open and close almost immediately. In this case, you've created the file and you've set it to run daily, so it's unlikely that it will seem ominous to you, but it's still better to eliminate any possible confusion. So I added five lines above the RoboCopy command in my command file. The first line is an at sign followed by echo off. That line assures that Windows does not display the commands as they are executed, and the at sign in front of the command keeps Windows from displaying the line that tells it not to display commands. The four echo lines followed by text will display text for the user to read. And to ensure that the user sees the information, all that's needed is a couple of lines of code below the RoboCopy command. The first is an echo line that says the process is complete, followed by timeout space forward slash t space minus 1. The timeout command tells Windows to wait for the amount of time specified by the t switch. Time is specified in seconds, so forward slash t5 would display the message for 5 seconds and then close the window. By specifying forward slash T minus 1, I've told Windows that it should keep the window open until the user presses a key. The timeout command also displays press any key to continue. And that just scratches the surface. To find out what other useful functions you might be able to access via the command line, look through some reference materials from Microsoft and others. Just because some technology happens to be 40 years old doesn't mean it's no longer worth using. Working with batch commands can be both useful and sometimes amusing. I have to point out, though, that if you find DOS commands and batch files amusing, you're in the same sorry boat I'm in. But we have references for that. 
You'll find links on the TechBiter Worldwide website to Microsoft's documentation for the command line, for some PowerShell documentation by Microsoft, to a tutorials point summary of batch commands, and if you really want to get involved with RoboCopy, to Microsoft's documentation for that command. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, although I watch very little television, I do watch a lot of motion pictures on DVDs. The television, a Samsung model that I bought in 2014, has decent speakers, but dialogue can be a problem. Recently, I found a solution. The problem became more acute when I started watching the new Doctor Who episodes, started when the program returned to the air back in 2005. The episodes have complex cinematic soundtracks that are busy with music and foley effects. Additionally, the actors are British, so I have to deal with their accents and with the occasional odd words that are perfectly normal in British English, but less so in American English. Add my ears to those challenges, too. They're not getting any younger, and although they worked well four or five decades ago, they're somewhat deficient now. Several manufacturers make speakers that connect to televisions via the optical sound port. The Bose TV speaker is modestly priced, modest at least for Bose. It gets poor reviews from those who are seeking a theater sound system. Fortunately, it gets good reviews from those who are simply seeking to make dialogue clearer. It's a relatively easy audio trick. Dialogue occupies mid-range sounds. Humans can hear sound from about 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz. Women can usually hear sounds above 20,000 hertz. Long ago, so could I, but not now. And by itself, that's not a problem. The most important sounds for intelligible speech are between about 500 hertz and around 8,000 hertz, with the most critical part of the spectrum being between 2,000 and 4,000 hertz. So probably it was pretty easy for Bose engineers to create a circuit that boosts those essential frequencies. That makes the low frequencies, which are important for sound effects, appear to be quieter and highlights the dialogue. Switching between normal sound and enhanced speech is accomplished with a single button press on the remote. The Bose TV speaker produces sound that's marginally better than the television's built-in speakers, but the ability to make speech more intelligible is a huge improvement. There's no need to improve the aural qualities of spare parts because, well, they don't have any. Head over to the TechBiter Worldwide website, and this week you'll find these articles. The Windows taskbar can get crowded if you often have many applications open, or if you pin a lot of icons to the taskbar. Not everything Microsoft puts on the taskbar by default needs to be there, though, and it's easy to dump the items you don't need. 
If you've ever had a computer report that a secure digital card is locked, fixing the problem usually is quick and easy. And 20 years ago, visual basic scripting attacks were common, and I suggested a couple of rules that guaranteed safety. They still apply. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.